Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Fish Tales. First off, big shout out to Jim Curry for last week's episode. If you're brand new to the show, make sure to go back and check out episode 5, which was my first one-on-one fireside chat with a guest. We covered a lot from jungle fishing in South America, right through to an abundance of salmon fishing topics from all over the world, including the importance of shared experiences with family and friends. A great episode I'm sure you will enjoy. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about sinking lines and how our tactics for early run Baltic salmon can mirror techniques and practices for springers, as technically the first fish in summer are our springers as well, it's just the fishing season up there is far more condensed than those in the UK. So, sinking lines, as the name would suggest, are designed to get down in the water column to a fishable level in the varying conditions we may face on the river. In recent years, the market has been flooded with all kinds of sinking line solutions, from full sinking spay lines, poly leaders and sink tips, shooting heads with multi-tips including Skagit, with running lines and multiple density shooting heads right the way down to full sinking heads and intermediate running lines. This list alone is enough to give most people a headache before even diving into each brand's multiple line series options, weights, head lengths, tapers, and matching the right setup to the style of rod and action it has, particularly when it comes to uncut sinking lines that have to be manually prepared, matching the desired weight and length to the application you wish to use it for, favoured mostly by professionals in product design and super technical anglers. Naturally, this level of confusion has led to many people being so sick of sinking lines that they stick with the simpler poly leader setup with a floating spay or shooting head, or at most, a multi-tip solution. But from my own experience, most of the time these setups simply don't cut it when faced with certain situations, and those not understanding or using sinking lines could be missing out on great opportunities on the water, either not achieving the right depth or skipping over sections of pools where the line just won't fish right. So I'm going to try and do my best to cut through the noise and give you my hot takes on sinking lines and how to approach them. I can start by thinking about when and why I would look to sinking lines. The first is something we can all relate to when the rivers first open, and that's water and air temperature. As a general rule of thumb, you can expect running salmon to be particularly slow movers in cold conditions, staying in the middle to lower water column, and as a result, can be less active towards coming up and taking a fly. Interestingly, kelts seem to occupy the middle to upper water column during this time also, so you can be forgiven for drawing conclusions on the catch rates of kelts compared to springers when using conventional floating line methods, although we all know the two-pronged effect here being that there are far fewer springers to kelts at this time as well. It is worth noting, however, that a good number of springers are usually taken on spinning methods designed to get down in front of the fish, and those who do have success with a fly in cold conditions specifically will usually opt for a heavy fly to get down quick. With these observations alone, I would choose to look at sinking lines in cold conditions that will reach into the mid to lower water column in an effort to present a fly right in front of a fish. This is our main goal for Baltic salmon early season also, as we find less opportunities for fish lying in a pool and instead targeting running fish and offering them something right in front of their nose. 
That being said, we do get resting fish and they usually offer the best hookups, which leads me to the next point of focus. As I can hear some of you asking, but how do you get a running fish to take well when they famously don't properly connect? Well, the answer again is thinking tactically with how the relationship between the behavior of the water and the fish corresponds with each other in any given pool. What I mean by this is that we have a fish that's a natural born predator, one that loves chasing prey and is triggered by speed. But sinking lines are typically associated with a slow fishing technique, mending upstream to slow the fly down and give it more time to sink. However, with the right application, a sinking line can be used to cut through the water column to achieve a desired depth for the fly to fish and present the fly during the swing at any speed. First, to get the fly down quickly, we can draw from a technique that's used to fantastic effect when targeting Chinook. As Chinook salmon have very poor eyesight from small eyes and often snowmelt murky rivers, it's important to present the fly right in front of the fish. To achieve depth quickly, you can cast 90 degrees into the river, upstream mend and let the line and fly drift downstream without tension to give it time to sink. When the line tightens, the fly then kicks into action and starts swimming under the full tension with the rod at depth. This often is the trigger point for the fish right after the fly starts swimming. To then add this practice for Atlantic and Baltic salmon, who have particularly good eyesight, you can adapt the speed of the fly by changing the angle of the rod, mending or stripping. One way is by holding the rod 90 degrees out into the river and slowly moving the rod towards the bank, searching, keeping the line under sufficient tension, just adding a few twerks of the rod tip to add more life to the fly. Great for cold water conditions. Or you can follow the line with your rod, going with the natural flow and speed of the river. Or my personal favorite that has worked many times for early running fish is to mend downstream, creating a belly in the line. The water pushing against the belly really speeds up the fly and you can keep the speed by focusing on the tension of the line, pulling the rod to the bank or stripping towards the end of the swing when you've run out of the water pushing on the belly or when the line enters slower sections of the pools closer to the bank. I've come across many stories where increasing speed has provoked the take. I'm sure many of you have experienced salmon taking when stripping line in for a new cast as well. So it may just be the trick to add the actions into your fishing routine, alternating between leaving a fly on the dangle and a full speed swing stripping and never once slowing down. This is where the answer lies to more successful hookups with running fish. As there's a belly in the line through much of the swing, the fly will travel across the water showing the side of the fly to the fish. If they do happen to take it, the line and the fly is still traveling across the fish and can be enough to set the hook straight away, especially if they turn in the opposite direction, though you may have less success if they do opt to turn in towards the bank. Nevertheless, I've had more success with running fish fishing at depth and speed than slowly on the top water. Perhaps it's just that much easier to detect a fish taking and giving them the sacrilegious trout strike if you feel the time is right. And let me tell you, there's been plenty of situations where a running salmon needs to be struck to have a chance of hooking up. But I usually have that as a last result if I've had multiple offers that just won't stick. 
So the next thing I would like to draw attention to is the enigma of choosing the right line and sinking rate for the situation. It is important to know that the sinking rates listed per line type are very much guidelines at best. A floating line will always float, but a sinking line will only ever achieve its maximum suggested sinking rate in still or slow moving water. Its ability to get down in the water column is dramatically altered by the speed and flow of the river, and these characteristics become even more complex through the different levels of the water column, where for example the water can be fast, turbulent and unpredictable, but from the mid column down has no flow whatsoever, or even has an undercurrent that pulls the line back towards you or into back eddies. For this reason, the perfect line for the head of a pool may not be the ideal setup for the neck or tail of the pool, but in any case, each situation would require some experimentation to achieve the desired depth and drift of the fly. For a completely successful fishing setup, your rig has to work in harmony from rod and reel all the way to the fly. To break it down into manageable sections in ways I can think about how I want to control the fly, I would start with floating or sinking running lines and bellies, then tips or leaders and finally the fly. For example, I would mostly pair a floating running line with a floating or subsurface belly so that the sinking rate steps down towards the fly. I also like a floating belly for the ability to control the position of the swing. This is where standard heavy poly leaders, multi-tips and skagits are best, as you can easily mend the belly throughout the swing to slowly drift a fly while the front section arcs down weaving through the stones. This is particularly good with the skagit application as often you want to be able to fish slow searching the pools with heavy tips and large flies and not have the swing interrupted by line dragging into large stones. Something many of you may find useful when searching for backhand fish in high and cold water, or even warm and low water when some fish choose to sit in the deepest holes in the river, or during the spring when fishing very rocky pools you can use your floating belly to adjust and correct the swing more easily. I would then choose to pair intermediate running lines with subsurface all the way down to full sinking bellies in their heaviest offerings. This is something I would choose more for faster flowing deeper rivers where I want to fish at depth and speed as described before by using the full length of the line against the current. Perfect solution for spring or cold water fishing, I do also really like this setup for targeting very fast flows in white water. In some cases during the summer when the temperatures are high in the water, the saturation of oxygen molecules decrease significantly. This is one of the main reasons releasing fish in cold water is quick and easy compared to warm temperatures, especially above 18 degrees Celsius. In order to obtain substantial levels of oxygen, the salmon will move into faster flowing waters to increase the rate of oxygen through their gills. Hit sun rays or skated flies can be brilliant sport, but we've all surely heard about those by now. And another technique is to use a moderately fast sinking line to allow the fly to sit below the surface and swing across the fish in the white water. Strangely enough, silver Wilkinson or incredibly pink bright magenta flies have proved to be excellent for situations like this, worth considering when the height of summer comes and the fishing is tough. So why choose an intermediate running line with a sinking line? It would be to achieve a more linear sinking rate through the water, which makes managing the line and retrieving much easier as well. 
but also to sit below the flow of the top water in situations like the one I just described. If you were to use a floating line setup, the line would just sweep across the water at a pace unnoticeable to the fish. The intermediate running line and a sinking belly allows the line to glide underneath the chaos and hopefully in line with the fish. The next setup is leader choice, and this one is far more important than most people realize. It may even change your relationship with sinking lines forever. There are three possibilities with your leader setup, and the first one we're all familiar with, monofilament. The classic line most of us would choose, mono is a great choice for almost all fishing situations. Though something that really should be taken into account is the lack of anglers who use tapered leaders, either pre-made or put together with tippet sections. The most common setup I've seen is 10 to 15 feet, 4 to 5 meters of straight nylon. These rigs are not ideal for spay lines, but for shooting heads and sinking lines, they can all but ruin your day's fishing. The reason for this is purely in the dynamics of the taper in your fly line. Shooting heads and skagits are designed to taper from a fat rear section down to a fine taper, focusing the weight in a very short area to easily load the rod with a short backswing and the aggressive taper allows the fly to turn over more easily. The same flow has to continue from the fly line through the taper down to the fly in order to successfully turn over a fly, land straight and start fishing right away. The same can be said for option number two, fluorocarbon. This material has some environmental issues around it being non-biodegradable. Not such an issue if you dispose of it on a campfire, but not great if anchored to a rock at the bottom of the river. But fluoro is worth a mention for its sinking properties. The line does help to get the fly down quicker and offers particularly good breaking strain per diameter and abrasion resistant properties against rocks. Although I have known plenty of bad ones take a minor nick and flay apart like twine fibers on a severed rope. With these two options, it's important to consider the diameter of the leader corresponding with the size of the fly. Typically, sunk line fishing requires a larger fly and in order to carry its mass and turn over, a thicker, heavier leader is required. But when it comes to sinking lines, we also have to consider the effect of the length of leader on the fishing depth of the fly. A typical long floating line leader setup is most likely going to result in a fly riding higher up in the water than the fly line, especially if the fly is unweighted, which we'll get to in a moment. This is where option three comes in, and it's the good old poly leaders, or tip sections from your multi-tip kits, combined with sinking bellies. As you shorten your leader to achieve the desired sinking depth and turnover of a large fly, we could be going down to as little as 3 to 5 feet or 1 to 1.5 meters of heavy leader and it's at this point we start to run into a couple of problems. One is the fly is now in very close proximity of the head and in clear water this could be enough to spook fish, especially when swinging fast and showing the side of the fly. Two is the anchor position in the water. The leader and fly position is integral to lining up and loading the rod for a solid cast. Without the friction of the water, your line is doomed to whatever fate falls upon it. And as the line flies through the air, the fly can often get ahead of itself, flying out and crashing in a heap on the water. Not ideal. 
So in this situation, we can match a poly leader to the desired length to add a little more headroom to the leader section and act as our butt section of the tapered leader. You can get polys in 5 to 10 and 15 feet and those brave enough can cut the desired length from these, adding to the length, weight and thickness of the overall setup. With these little tricks, tapering your leaders and combining polys and tippet material to create a substantial enough anchor point in the water, sinking line casting becomes a breeze. So finally, in the rig rundown, we can look at the fly. As mentioned before, you can opt for light or heavy flies. And I can hear some of you saying, why use a light fly with a sinking line when it will sit higher in the water? Well, we can start by saying, obviously, a heavy fly will work very well at completing the linear sinking line rig from rod tip to fly, which is favored all over the world. But we should take into consideration the different characteristics a fly can have in the water depending on its weight. A heavy fly is quite rigid, a bold statement in the water on the hunt for the fish. A light fly is at the mercy of a current flickering and flaring through its varying flows. It's worth remembering our predatory and both offensive and defensive fish that we target can be triggered by movement. A lively fly at depth is worth just as much as a heavy weight in my eyes. So we have the theory, the techniques and the understanding of how to build a rig. And you're saying you still haven't told us how to wade through the mammoth offerings of sinking lines on the market to choose the right ones for me. Okay, so here goes to sum up. I would choose multi-tip or skagit setups with floating running lines and bellies in combination with sink tips for situations where I want to control the line speed and position of the fly using the top of the water as the vehicle to achieve this. This would be situations where I know the top water flows fast and is much slower deeper down. Pools where there may be a lot of rocks I need to weave a fly through or getting down to slow and cold fish. I would also potentially use them to reach down into potholes during hot conditions and fish holding in the deepest darkest parts of the river. I would then choose a floating running line with subsurface heads in the intermediate to sink one region for medium flows getting down a little bit. This is probably my most effective fishing in summer for Baltic salmon. Sort of similar to a spay line and a slow to fast sinking poly leader, but much more manageable and easier to cast, especially with long leaders and small to medium flies. I would then move to intermediate lines and mid-column heads from the sink one to sink four region for normal flows and colder water, but not freeze your nuts off conditions. This would allow me to achieve depth at slower swings or fish closer to the surface at speed. I would also use this setup for fast white water, just getting the fly beneath the surface, searching for running fish or warm water fish replenishing oxygen levels. Median length leaders for average fishing and potentially short leaders with polys and a weighted fly to make sure I'm not just skipping on the surface. Finally, I would switch to heavy sinking bellies for mid to lowest water columns, allowing to achieve maximum depth whilst fishing at any desired speed. This would be in the sink 5 to 8 region at the tip of the line. My particular favourite method casting 90 degrees and leaving the line slack to sink, waiting for the line to come under tension, then mending downstream. Swinging hard, focusing on the pull of the line, moving the rod tip towards the bank or stripping to maintain the speed. Hopefully inducing that deep water springer take and you bloody know about it when it happens. 
For these rigs, I would consider short leaders and fine tuning polys to give you the right leader taper and length to be able to turn over and present a fly when needed, but also keep the sinking rate almost all the way down to the fly. I would opt for either a light or weighted fly depending on the situation as well. Perhaps a light lively fly is the best when fishing slow for more movement and life and a heavy fly is best for swinging. Of course these are just all theories but I hope it's given you something to think about when approaching the water at home in the spring or venturing further north to other places where the salmon run. Remember if the weather is good, the water temperature is normal and the air temperature is normal, get the floating lines out. There is a reason they're successful all over the world. But one final thought I'll leave you with. Salmon fishing is surrounded by many situations where we would hear you can't catch a salmon in those conditions. My time in Scandinavia has proved almost all of them to be wrong. Such as chocolate dirty high water. Sometimes the answer is just to throw a 30 centimeter brightly colored hair winged rubber leg thing right by the bank and there they are. But one of my favourites that relates to sinking line fishing is the idea that you can't catch salmon when there's rising mist on the water, due to the water temperature being higher than the air temperature. In most cases it seems impossible to get them, but I know a few guys fishing for the Baltics that don't give up so easily, and their mindset in these conditions is just to get down deeper. We all agree it seems to push the fish's heads down, so why not follow them down with the lines? Recalling my first year fishing in Sweden, I was in Jokfall on the midsummer night, a big tradition and festivals all over Scandinavia. It was about 10 degrees in the water and minus one in the air, absolutely freezing. My brother and I were sat by the fire desperately trying to get warm after a day of leaking waders, and we were watching the usual clan taking turns to fish the bridge pool on the left bank. The whole river was engulfed in rising mist and the water itself was dead quiet. But sure enough, after a while, it may have been about 2am, someone hooked and landed a fish, which sort of blew my mind. The following day, I heard reports that a friend of mine had been fishing in the tributary river Engerson the last two nights and had four fish between those two nights, two each night. And remarkably, these fish were well into the high 20s. His comments on the occasion were simple enough. We had rising mist and it was insanely cold, so I went down deeper for them and found them. Sometimes a bit of applied theory and determination in the face of salmon fishing myths is what makes the difference. I know my time out there has taught me to forget what I think I know about things that can't happen in salmon fishing and to embrace the conditions you face and tackle them head on with the theory and tackle available to us. I hope this episode has cleared up a few queries and black spots on the subject of sinking lines. My personal feeling is that I came into sinking lines when they were already really good in the form of shooting heads and I far prefer to fish them than full spay lines, tips and general multi-tip selections. There's definitely a place for both, especially multi-tips if you're uncomfortable with the enormity of lines on offer, but I would definitely say that every section of the water column and every possible angle and drift speed is noteworthy in the pursuit of salmon, especially when the conditions fall outside of regular floating line tactics. My advice would be to go and try a number of lines where possible and put them on your own rod so you can get a feel for the right line for you. 
This will be determined by the weight of the overall line, the length of the line that suits your casting style. Shorter strokes or tighter casting situations would require shorter heads, longer strokes and big river fishing would require longer heads. And finally, just the overall performance of the line. Can you happily turn over the size of the fly you would need to use without dumping it on the water or breaking your back or rod casting it? As I said in the last episode, if you need help understanding these specifications and the relationship to your rod and your casting style, it's well worth getting in touch with reps of those manufacturers. They're usually easy to find and in my experience, very honest. If they believe a different brand is better for you, that's what they will recommend. I'm always happy to help anyone that wants to know more about lines and techniques, so any questions, please fire away. It also helps to look at your most frequented water and conditions or destinations you are traveling to, which I would hope would be detailed in your pre-trip information, but doesn't hurt to be completely sure and prepared for all eventualities. The proof is always in the pudding. If you like it, it achieves the desired result and you can confidently select the line for your water, then that's the right one for you. So if you'd like to know more or need help with sinking lines, get in touch anytime. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this tech and tactics style special. It's quite nice alternating between topics and most of these have been suggested by you. So please do keep sending in suggestions for the show. If you're new to Fishtails or you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred streaming platform for updates when new episodes go live. But just in case, there will be a new episode every Tuesday and I'd really appreciate it if you shared with all your fishing buddies. You can do this with the link anchor.fm forward slash fish hyphen tails. Also, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel searching Fly Fish Adventures. I'm working on a bunch of new videos, but the most faithful is every Friday. A new tying video for Fly Friday, and this week it'll be Stuart Foxall tying an Argus Wing Acroid, which is a traditional D-fly. Lots of great tying videos already on there and some fishing films, but there'll be much more coming after this summer. We have a big three-week project going on on our two main river systems, the Carlix and the Tawny, so look out for that. And lastly, check out the latest issue of Chasing Silver. There's going to be an article about Baltic salmon in our region, which I helped put together with my good friend Robin Landon at Yockfall. Lots of great history and big fish heartbreak, so please give that one a go. That's all from me. Until next time, this has been Fish Tales. I've been your host, Jay Bartlett, and we'll be back soon. And as always, spring hunters, I salute you. Tight lines. <laughs>